Welcome to Win the Day with Wasson, presented by MarketScale in partnership with WTD Consulting. Let's deep dive into the principles and perspectives that have shaped the winning mindsets with our guests focused on driving people performance. Confident our guests can help you unlock the coveted it factor that we believe is a learnable trait enabling the separation for success in a world of human commoditization. I'd like to welcome our audience once again. We're live in our studios here in Dallas at MarketScale. Really looking forward to sharing the wisdom and the intellectual fortitude that my guest to the left of me is about to present. I know him as Chad Stevens. The medical community knows him as an international recognized name of education across both sports and pain management. Can't thank you enough, Chad, for joining us. Welcome to Win the Day with Wasson. Thank you for inviting me on today. It should be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be fun, and I think for our audience that doesn't know you the way I know you, the ability for you to cast your journey, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I want to take a step back, Chad. Yeah. Before you had the credentials behind your name, right. let's go all the way back to when you were a soccer player at Abilene Christian, yeah. an athlete. Yes. The mindset that started there to ultimately build what you've had right now as one of the most respected names in sports and pain management. Just walk our audience through what that journey looked like for you to not only visualize yourself becoming what you are today, right. but the realities of what it took to get there. Right, yeah, so that's a great question, Chase. When I was in high school and early college years, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And um, so I knew I was interested in medicine, but not exactly sure where I would land. But um, I don't remember if you had a lot of injuries during your high school years. It seems like you never got hurt, if I remember right. But, but I got hurt a lot playing sports. I played five sports in high school, and I was in the physical therapist's office a lot. And I looked around, and I thought, this person's walking around in like, like sweatpants and a t-shirt and providing medical care. This could be something for me. And uh, so then I got into college and I started working for a physical therapy unit there in Abilene. And um, I enjoyed physical therapy a lot. And I have great friends that are physical therapists now. And I admire what they do a ton. But what I realized, Chase, is that it wasn't quite for me. And I'll tell you why. Um, there were some great orthopedic surgeons in Abilene who did uh, ACL repairs on multiple ACU athletes. I went to Abilene Christian University. And a lot of our athletes had ACL tears. I remember at one time, like eight guys in a hot tub, you know, re rehabbing their knees. And I could see that the doctors that had progressive and aggressive uh, recovery plans for their protocols set, their patients did well. And the doctors that had very conservative and maybe too slow of plans, their doctors or their patients didn't do as well. Maybe they never even got their full range of motion back in their knee, maybe never returned back to sport. And so it hit me that I would never be good at following protocols. I wanted to be the one to set the protocols. And that was kind of an aha moment for me that I'm kind of going on the wrong pathway in a way, still pre-med, it was still the same pathway, but I realized that I needed to be a provider. So then I started um, going down the pathways of what I thought I wanted to do with my life. And I enjoyed surgery and I enjoyed making a difference with people, but I also liked you know, getting to know them. And I didn't want to just be a one-time person that they saw and never saw them again. I wanted to have an impact on their life, so to speak. And so that led me through when I went through uh, medical school and did my matching. I, I thought at first I wanted to do ear, nose, and throat surgery. So I did a bunch of different rotations, ear, nose, and throat surgery, did some interviews, and it led me down a pathway of getting into sports medicine and then pain medicine. And the reason I really enjoy the field I'm in is because I see people on a continual basis and I get to watch the progress of their life. And what I mean by that is 
functional improvement through injury or through just chronic pain conditions and getting them back to doing things they enjoy um, at a higher level than just kind of always being hampered by whatever is in their way. So you talk about constant improvement, you talk about kind of the journey and the things you enjoy from kind of that patient interaction that you right. get to play a big part of right now. You talked a little bit about your own journey mm -hmm. and from ACU obviously going into medical school, mm -hmm. having success there. Mm -hmm. For our audience, Chad, not only do we have a lot of different healthcare professionals that are tied to win the day, right. this is kind of mantra, right. we've also got clinicians that are probably in your shoes in a fellowship. Yes. What were some of the things that as you look back, you learn through that process that have helped impact the way you treat patients even today? So that, that's a really good question too. I, I think that comes down to continually educating yourself and continually educating others. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but it's not because um, not everybody has the motivation once they have quote arrived at a job to continue to make themselves better every day. But the idea that I am going to have new patients with new conditions present to my office and I need to be the one to be able to pick up on what's going on and potentially be the one that treats them, gets them back to their life was a driving force for me. And so the goal was always to try to be the best I could in my field and try to draw people from all over. Um, a lot of doctors are very content with, with getting a good following, you know, immediately proximal to their area. My goal has always been to be think more global, at least more national, and get people coming from all over because this is the person in the area who does more of these procedures, whatever those may be, than anybody else. So therefore, they may do them the best and they have the best outcomes. And so that was always kind of my goal is to kind of be like a niche pain doctor and to make sure I could always provide the highest level new, um, new innovative procedures with easy recoveries and quicker return to work and you know still get that same functional improvement so one word you commented on that that i know from knowing you that's so key is innovator mm -hmm. and i think not only are you an innovator in care but you've been an innovator in style um yeah. not not to tease you at all but chad is also probably one of the best dressed oh, okay. individuals that i know in healthcare. but that also ties into the brand that yeah. you've built right. as a practitioner right. can you talk to our audience chad around the brand not only of Chad Stevens, but as Dr. Chad Stevens yeah. that you try to portray daily in those patient interactions. Yeah, I, I, I love that question. There, let me tell you a text I got yesterday. I saw a guy in my office who has been a very high up person in the USPI, you know, very large Baylor Scott and White facility world. And he sent me a text last night after I did a treatment on him yesterday. And it kind of touched on those things. And it kind of, I never really thought about this way, but he, he had gone back and researched the outcomes I had gotten on procedures I had done. And he, that was number one, one of the reasons why he came to me. He knew, he knows umpteen billion pain doctors, but he even mentioned in there a couple times that I've taken good care of myself through the years. And I never really had thought that much about it, but if you, if you, if you go to a doctor who is saying, I need you to do this, this, and this, but you don't believe they do this, this, and this themselves, then they're, they're either an actor or a liar or both, right? And so my goal has always been to try to be able to portray the best I can be. And so um, I haven't always been like this, as you know, um, Chase, you know, told me a while back that it may be time for you to step up your game. And um, when I started speaking at, at national meetings, international meetings, I realized that um, not, just like probably in sales, people kind of 
look at you as your first impression sometimes. And, and I thought to myself, well, if I'm wearing the, the, the best Lululemon pants, I must be making a good impression. And really what I was making the impression is maybe I'm going to the gym as soon as I finish this talk, right? So I don't think that, that everything about you is wrapped up in your appearance, but I think that it's important that you take care of yourself. I think it's important that you portray that you care enough about yourself and the brands you represent, be it your own brand or the companies that are sponsoring you to be at some event that you want to look the best you can and, and present the best. Really, that, that's really the most important thing is if I'm asked to go to an event, I'm going to be well, well slept, I'm going to be well prepared, and I'm going to give them the best you know, doctor presentation I can possibly give them. Well, I think that's a testimony to obviously your personal values, mm -hmm. but professionally, I think that lands very well on not only your patients, mm -hmm but also different entities and, and vendors that you work with. So yeah. I really kind of want to shift gears a little bit, Chad, okay. and move towards, you obviously work with a ton of different vendors throughout your career. Right. Um, in the healthcare sector, obviously getting to a, an expert like yourself is the end game to be able to facilitate education, right. et cetera. What is it like on the provider side what do you look for in a good vendor uh, as far as the way they carry themselves or things of value they bring to you? The thing I think about the most is what do my patients need? There have been times, Chase, where, let me just take you through the, the kind of how pain doctors develop. We, we learn a skill set where we can use our hands to pass needles or probes or not, whatever it is we need to be able to do on a patient through looking through a fluoroscope or a live x-ray or another scan or something, an ultrasound or something. So we, we get the hand skills to match what we're seeing with our hands that we can physically do something to somebody, right? But then things come up and new companies innovate and new companies come up with newer products that are better for our patients. And so as a practitioner, I feel like my job is to try to stay up to date with those and lead the way on some of those things. And so, for instance, if, 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 a, if a new product comes out, what it usually happens to me is, is I'm like, okay, is this something that I'm seeing on a regular basis in my office? Like if I'm seeing bad example maybe, but if I'm seeing migraine after migraine after migraine after migraine, do I have a tool to treat migraine the best of anybody in this area? Or is it just like anybody else take an Advil, right? And so those are a lot of times what drives my interests. Like when a, when a and you might've loved this when you were a rep, but when, when I call a rep, it's like not a cold call, it's a warm call. It's like, I'm calling you because I think you have a product I need for patients that I take care of now would you be willing to come meet with me? And they're like, oh yeah, we've been by your office 20 times and been told you're too busy, right? You know that deal where the receptionist is like a, you know, like a bird dog getting people out of there. Um, but that's a lot of what I do is, is I know what my patients in our area are looking for. I know what they need and I try to be the person that has the things to offer that can help them. Well, I think that's obviously a testimony to the way you, you practice, mm -hmm. but I also think it's, it goes back to that mindset that we talked about at the very beginning you've always challenged yourself to either push for excellence, and if you don't find excellence, you're gonna to gravitate to those that can help you get there mm -hmm. through resources, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been a big part of your journey. Yes. As we're kind of diving into that, Chad, and I know especially for practitioners, mm -hmm. landing that great job right out of med school can be challenging. To our audience and just advice to younger practitioners as they're you know, navigating their journey similar to the way you have, what was that process like for you? What things did you learn? And how are you, you know, kind of making those applicable even now as you're educating to fellows all over yeah. the country? Well, that, that goes into the world of what I wish I could do over. Um, I started into the 
national, international speaking world maybe six or seven or eight years ago. And here I am kind of in the middle to the latter part of my practice, whereas the fellows and people that are late medical school that are coming to these meetings and are learning um, different people they've gotten to know, learning different companies, different products, as late medical students or early fellows, they're going to have a huge advantage when it comes to job you know, finding. I kind of had the attitude, Chase, that, that I'm, I have a unique training with my sports medicine and my pain, and I'm going to be highly sought after. And the, the truth is I wasn't. In, in the sense that people didn't really know where to put me, right? If, if you're an anesthesiologist and you can do anesthesia one day and do pain management the next day, well, that's an easy plug and play. But my first job I took was with a big orthopedic group in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And it was great because I got to be around a bunch of orthopedic partners, but I also got to develop my pain skills. So in one day, I was taking care of athletes on the sideline and on the ice and on the whatever, you know, the, the field we were playing on. And the next day I was in the OR doing pain cases. And it gave me a chance to have kind of a, a second fellowship after my other two fellowships, to, or third fellowship I guess it would be, where I could learn uh, on the job, if you will, what I really wanted to make out of my practice and learn. So uh, my, my point one is find a practice you can get into where you can learn how you really want to develop it. But while you're under a partnership or a group that has already got several things in motion, you may stay there forever and be happy as can be. But if not, you can glean a lot of things about how you want to do things different when you start your own practice. So that'd be my first thing I would say start when you're a fellow going to meetings and getting to know people and and you know honestly social media um i didn't do any social media until a couple years ago and if i had started doing social media years ago i probably would have gotten involved in the national and international sector sooner but um again you can't change what you've done you can only change what you do going forward and and i'm really blessed because i mean for my family cycle with the, the kids and the ages they're at it's allowed me to be the team doctor at my high school where our kids go in Argyle, the team doctor at Southlake where you went, and then gave me a chance to kind of start this whole speaking portion of my life. Well, it's been an incredible journey. I've been privileged to kind of watch the brand that you've talked about and built. And let's pivot because you mentioned social media. Right. And I think the thing that continues to help elevate your brand mm -hmm. and Noble is your ability to see that social media is another channel to educate. But walk our audience through, Chad, how yourself and the practice is leveraging social media to number one, educate, right. but number two, has given you a voice to be an internationally recognized name in the field of sports and pain management. Okay, so maybe three years ago, four years ago, I didn't even have a Facebook page, not a personal Facebook page, and I kept missing high school. I'm from Colorado. I missed all these high school events, and finally we were home visiting. One of my friends are like, why haven't you come to any of our, you know, our reunions? I'm like, I didn't know about them. Well, that's because we advertise that on Facebook. So all my Colorado friends are still friends and hang out together, see each other, but the ones that don't, it's Facebook, right? So, and my office manager at the time had really encouraged me to get a Facebook page. And I'm like, I don't need another thing to take time away from what I'm doing. And, and, and it can be, right? Social media can take a lot of time. And so I, I didn't want to get into it really quickly, but through time I realized I could hire people to help me with that. So I could give them content, I could give them ideas, I could give them a direction I wanted to go with my education and with, with you know, the activities I'm involved in. And then they could guide me on what the best timing is for putting it in. They could frame it in the, in the best picture, or whatever else. And so I've been able to find some really good people. Currently I have somebody uh, called Lumen out of Argyle and um, Darby does a ton of things for me, getting my, my posts on a timely uh, uh, 
part of the day where most people will see them. Um, we talk on a regular basis about what it is that I want to get out that week or that month as far as what am I the most passionate about as far as um, medical problems I'm seeing over and over, which of the procedures I do do I really want to highlight. And so a lot of that gets into it. And so, um, as you know, we have gone west, like as far as Abilene. And for those of you that aren't from Texas, that's about three hours west or, you know, or more or less from here. And part of what we do is when we're going to a new place, we put out um, a you know, big radius of, of uh, kind of a sector to Facebook and Instagram of some of the testimonials of people that I've worked with. And so testimonials have been really great for us, Chase. There's a lot of patients now come on, they're like, I had a good outcome, can I do a testimonial for you? And it's, it's, it used to be like, like begging people, if, if, would you please do this for me, it'd be a real nice favor to like, man, I love how you do your social media stuff, can we be one of your testimonials? And so gradually it, it's kind of built itself and other people have really helped me. I mean, I, I'm not the most creative person in the world, I'm a doctor and I'm trying to make my social media that I'm a, a caring father, husband, doctor that people would wanna come see but it's hard to when you have to try to make some of your videos kind of silly or things like that to get a lot of likes. So it's, well, it's a balance. I think it's genius. I Thanks. think it's something that is giving your patients and even industry partners a sense of who is Dr. Chad Stevens? Mm -hmm. How does he think? He's a normal, regular, everyday you know, individual yeah. who does have a family, yeah. but when it comes down to when you're in your office, they're getting you know, not only exceptional care, but you're relatable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing I'd like to dig into a little bit. Okay. Obviously, I, I get a chance to be around you know, folks a lot smarter than me, mm -hmm. day to day in the provider level, but talk about relatability to patients and how you yourself leverage your interpersonal skills yeah. to really establish that rapport, bond, and trust yeah. with patients. So yeah, let me, let me talk about relatability in the big sense of being a doctor first and put it in this realm. So when I teach a course on the weekend, a lot of times I will ask the radiology techs, either the person who's the most critical person in the room, who's flipping a C-arm for us, if they're not good, we're not good, that kind of right? And I'll say, when was the last time a doctor called you by their, your name? And some of them have never had anybody call them by their name, some 10, 12 years or whatever. And so I look at all the people in the course and I say, the first thing you need to understand when you walk in the room is you're not the most important person. And so who is? The patient, of course. And then who's next? the radiology tech, who's next, the anesthesiologist. Where do you rank? You're way down the list. Now, you're the most um, responsible for a bad outcome or whatever, but you're not the most important person in the room. And so while all these people are these reps and people are trying to interact with you and ask you about your family and your kids and your dogs, what about doing that for them? What about like getting to know them by name and asking how their weekend went? What about, so I've always made a point to call everybody in the OR by their name and to thank all of them after every case. And I've always made a point to either give them a hug or a handshake, whatever is appropriate for that, you know, the intersex relationship there, because I really want to make sure they know that they're valued and I'm just a part of the process and they are a big part of the process. And so the relatability starts, starts there. And then when you're in the office, if your staff thinks that you're 
locked away in a room and you're untouchable and they're afraid to bother you, well, guess what? They're going to make some decisions that maybe they shouldn't be because they're afraid to bother you. So having an open door policy where people just walk in and ask questions, we get things done faster, more efficiently, and at more accurately. And so um, I think all the people that work with me would say that we have a good rapport. We, you know, every year we give them a nice little, you know, Christmas uh, shopping spree, speaking of Christmas shopping sprees, um, and we, we show them their value all year long, but we want them to know that, that they're the, a big part of the way our, our patient care progress takes place. And I think that's where the relatability comes from. As far as the patients go, I just talk to them. You know, first day of medical school, somebody told me, I think it was one of the professors, said if you listen to your patients long enough, they'll tell you what's wrong with them, and you'll look really smart. And I took under that philosophy, and I talked to my patients. And, you know, a lot of times patients come in, and they're there for a follow-up visit or whatever, and we'll talk 20 minutes about their family or my family and five minutes about what their medical condition is. But a lot of what patients need, uh, Chase, is not just medical um, decision-making and advice. Sometimes they just need somebody they can, you know, look forward to talking to. Sometimes it's their only time they're getting out of the house, that, especially during, like, COVID times, that week or month, that may be the only time they're getting out. So just the, the human contact. And I just try to relate to them in a way where I can ask questions about their families and find out, you know, what's making them tick. Because all of us have things about us that make us who we are, right? I mean, people are granddads or, or you know, grandmas. They're moms or dads, they're, you know, teachers, whatever they're going to do, those roles are important and just as important as talking about what I do. I can tell them my story, but what's important is what, what's their story? How does their story impact what's affecting their, their life? Are they able to do what they want to be able to do? You know, a lot of our people have very interesting lives. They're involved in, you know, multi-sport kind of athletes that do a lot of triathlons, that do like 100-mile races, things like that. And I just, you know, I can't even run you know, 50 yards, right? So I just try to uh, look at my patients and say, what is so interesting about them and how can I make their life better? Well, I think it establishes comfort, number one. Yeah. The other thing I think you touched on it and it stems back to as you've talked through kind of this brick by brick process, mm -hmm. you've developed this different mindset of approaching things. Mm -hmm. There's no I in team. Mm -hmm you have that we mentality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I continue to hear around the way you approach your business side of things is it's a we mentality. Yeah. And I think that's transferable and applicable, obviously to our audience on Win the Day with Wasson, but something that separates the way you approach the patient care you know, perspective. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about team. Let's yeah. talk about sports. Okay. I think for our audience, most really will probably recognize your face being the guy that the city of DFW and quite frankly the nation turned to um, on the tragedy of, of Mr. Hamlin for the Buffalo Bills. I know you're an expert in that. Can you just talk through our audience, Chad, when you got the phone call to really be front and center educating the community on what happened, yeah. your perspective. Right. Can you give us some, some guidance on that? Yeah, the ironic thing, Chase, is, is uh, I wasn't watching the game. I, I, we, the football games are always on on our TV upstairs and downstairs, and my wife was watching it while she was doing something in the house. And I was actually in my study working on advanced cardiac life support because I was having to take my test that week because you have to keep up with these things yearly, right? And so uh, it was ironic that that came on at the same time, but she came and said, look, somebody's on the field there. I think they're getting CPR. So I came and I took a, a look and, and I, I didn't know it right at that time, but within about 15 minutes, my phone started ringing from the various uh, news channels. And so really quickly, I acquainted myself with what was going on. 
I had a pretty good idea of what I thought it was. And, um, you know, there's still a lot of people are afraid to really say exactly what the presenting problem was. And they keep saying there's gonna be more studies done. But, but let's just, for the argument's sake, say that what happened was relatable to a, a blow to the chest at just the right you know, time in the QRS cycle of the heart as it's repolarizing, and that causes the heart to go into ventricular uh, VFib. So then that's probably why somebody like that would have to get CPR. Sometimes they have to get shocked and um, back to rhythm. And so I think that's kind of what took place there. But what I want to highlight is, is something that is another group of people that oftentimes will kind of get overlooked. If you're an athletic trainer, you're not doing athletic training because it makes the biggest bucks. You're not doing it because it's on the middle of every camera of, of everything that happens. You're doing it because you love people and you want to help. And the athletic trainers and the team doctors on the field that day are the heroes, right? And I think DeMar would tell you that himself. But the fact is, they, what they did that was so special about that, I don't know if everybody knows this, but they didn't like sneak out of the field and go into the, you know, back out in the locker room and do the defibrillation there so nobody would see it. Granted, there was a lot of players around a circle kind of giving a insulated circle, but what happened on that field is something that happens a lot of places, but it gets pulled to the side and people don't ever see it happen. But all of America and all the world saw it that night and, and they realized that, man, there's, there are inherent risks in athletics. And the key is to be pre as prepared as you can be from a uh, equipment standpoint and from a, uh, being in the best shape you can possibly be in and having the best medical staff you can have. And so part of the interview process I did a lot of was talking to people about what I think happened medically and how, how you can avoid it. And then we got onto this big, well, well what if it didn't get caught in the, in the physical at the beginning of the, of the season? Well, if it was what I think it was, what we call commotional cortis, which is a, a thump to the middle of the chest at the wrong time, that doesn't get picked up in your physical, right? So you can pick up on somebody who has a little bit of a abnormal or thickened heart or somebody who has, you know, other things through an echocardiogram or an EKG, but there's no real findings that tell you somebody is at risk for a commotional cortis. So the only thing you could really do is prevent that with, with some sort of protection. And that kind of launched into a lot of different states and cities want to talk about well, what does that look like? And we talked about this Kevlar pad that you can wear from unequal. And that's kind of where a lot of the interest went because people want to play sports, right? I mean, you trained all your life to be a football player and, you know, you would not want that to be cut short in one night, right? And so if you can do, if you could, somebody told you you could put one more pad on and it would give you the chance to have a very, you know, big reduction in the risk of your heart injury, wouldn't you do it? I mean, so that's kind of where a lot of the news conferences around the country went to. But again, I don't have, I wasn't there. I haven't seen his EKGs echoes. Um, all I know is this, we had a guy down on the, on the field who was defibrillated within a very short time, even a couple minutes, and that increased his risk of, of dying to a, from a very, uh, very real number, big number, to a very small number, and he survived, and he got out of the hospital, and he showed up at ball games, he's back home. Amazing story. No, and, and you summarized it very well for our audience. I think the big takeaway, number one, like you said, it takes a village and kudos to the team that was there to really act. Number two, thank you for that education. I think for our audience that may not be as familiar with the certain terms and exactly what happened, that was very informative. But the other thing too that I think is kudos to that brand that you've built mm -hmm. is you are the guy that was being put as the educator. Mm -hmm. So I think that continues to go back to 
all the things you've done throughout your career, Chad, that have ultimately given you that platform that we talk about to ultimately be that voice that people trust. And I think as we kind of shift gears, I want to talk through how you're impacting patients on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. We talked a little bit about the vendor slash provider relationship, mm -hmm. but as you've continued to build your brand, you're now involved with a lot of different innovative medical device companies, right. innovative procedures. Right. What are things you look for that says, this is something I want to get involved with? And just talk to our audience around some of those procedures and things that truly make yourself and Noble very unique. Okay, uh, so when it comes to, Part of that is, is the need for the practice. Again, looking to see what, what is not, a, what, who am I having to refer out a lot? Who do I see and, and I don't know what to do to help them? One of the most intimidating slash frustrating thing as a practitioner is when you don't know what to do for somebody and you don't know who to send to. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes people come in and you're like, I'm not sure what's wrong and I'm not even quite sure where to send you for more specialty help. That is a really sick feeling as it makes you just feel like you haven't been, you're not qualified to be where you are, right? So most of the time when somebody comes in, pretty quickly, within a few seconds, you know what's wrong with them. And then the rest of the visit is, is built around trying to help them understand what the possibilities of what's going on are and what the possibilities for treating it are, right? So one of the things I was seeing a lot in my practice was, I'll give you an example, this, this thing called a Minuteman. I was seeing a lot of patients that had um, what we call instability of their lumbar spine, where the bones are slipping like Jenga blocks are offset a little bit, and that's um, causing degeneration of discs and tightening of their spinal canal. And so a lot of those people I would send off to surgery, and, and God bless them, we have a lot of great surgeons in, in, our, in our community, I'm thankful for all of them, but a lot of times if somebody's like sick or older, um, maybe they're not a good surgery candidate, maybe they can't withstand a three hour, four hour surgery, those people were kind of being like, well, should we put them on meds? What should we do? And, and my goal, Chase, has never been to put people on narcotics, but to get them off of them and to do that through procedures and through things that can actually change their their, their course without having to be a pill that they count on, right? So when I, when I saw this procedure, it, it caught my attention, especially because of one of my big, um, uh, one of the people I looked to as a leader in the country uh, had told me this is something you should look into. And when I, the CEO actually flew out and introduced me to the product. And as soon as we sat down and talked about it, I told them, I said, you're onto something here. I said, not only do you have a product that can reduce the amount of time it's gonna take for people to get uh, well, and get back to their activities. And I said, it reminds me of back to your cardiology days, right? It reminds me of when cardiothoracic surgeons, they used to cut the chest open, then we're, uh, we're faced with some patients who could go through a, a little small procedure through the vein and the thigh and do a, a, a you know, stent. And so that, that coming of age kind of thing where, where times are changing and people want less invasive you know, procedures, I need to be able to offer them less invasive procedures. And so surgeons started sending me patients like that. I had patients in my practice like that and I didn't want to not have anything to offer them except for just go do therapy, right? So I started doing these procedures and started seeing these great results. And ironically, Channel 5 did a story on it. And it was really good because in a matter of three, we uh, three months, we had three patients within three weeks go off of their opiates completely. And they'd all been on opiates for like eight or 10 years. And they thought that was a, a feel-good story. I felt like that was something worth telling the, you know, the United States, if not at least the Dallas uh, Metroplex about. And so that's the goal is to try to get the word to the masses that there are options. now. 
are, is it necessary to do a 360 surgery where you do a front and a back surgery on some patients? Absolutely. But on some people, a single level treatment can be really helpful for them, get them out of their pain to a large extent and get them back to the functional life they want without being out of the you know, commission for several months. So that was a product that I really needed, something like that. Um, but there's been other things too where um, they're just things I see, like some, one, one procedure I do where I do nerve ablations of the knee, shoulder, hip, and the back. Most people do it of, of the back and the neck. That's been something we've done for years, but we've been doing a lot of the shoulder, hip, and knee because a lot of patients aren't ready for a knee replacement yet, right? Um, it takes about eight or nine years for somebody to come to the decision, okay, I am ready to go in a knife for a knee replacement. In between, there's a lot of steroid shots, a lot of other kinds of shots, biologic we've talked about. There's a lot of things to do, but when you burn the nerves to the knee, you can buy people a year or two at a time, and you can do that repeatedly if you need to. And so things like that just really resonate with me, like ways to, to help people with small procedures, very, very low risk, and getting them back to a better quality of life until they're ready to do a big surgery, or maybe they don't have to do that ever. It just depends on the patient. Well, I think it's another thing that differentiates you, not only to patients, but obviously the medical community. And that's one thing I wanted to touch on a little bit, Chad, is yourself as an educator. Okay. I know you've got a ton of appreciation for the journey that fellows go through, mm -hmm. but talk to our audience, especially those that are in this healthcare sector around what you're doing as an educator what topics you're, you're speaking on, and even things as far as presentation skills you've garnered that are making yourself sharper, more appealable to an audience. Yeah. Just let's deep dive into that a little bit. Okay, yeah, I, I think the first step to becoming a good presenter is getting in front of a lot of people a lot of times. And, and I will always say that my time as, as president of my class in medical school, presenting to 200 people every day, some issue going on the class, and having people kind of, some listening, some not, you know, just being able to learn to, to get the, the audience to listen to you, um, that, was, that was important. Having the confidence to call people in the audience out and ask them questions, call them by name, learn the people in the audience, learn your audience and, and know what you're really trying to present to whom is really important. So, um, I mean, I, I love public speaking. I mean, I, I love the chance to get in, in front of people and share something if I have something to share, right? But there's also a lot of times I love just listening to other people do it, but I always admire somebody who has really fine-tuned their speaking skills and they're articulate and they're thoughtful and you can tell that doesn't, that just, that's not something you just do naturally. That's, that's like you said, it takes work. And so uh, I think the best thing that's, that's really been for me is learning to, when I, when I do a presentation, when I, like I was told the other day on Saturday, I did a, a presentation and then the person that kind of evaluated me later said, I think my favorite thing about you is that you don't rely on the slides. And um, so to me, slides are suggestions, slides are up, but what people really want is they want to flow to the talk and they want to know, is this something that's important to my practice? And so the first thing you have to establish when you're teaching a lab of any kind is how do I find these patients? How do I select these patients? Because I can teach you a skill in the OR in a Saturday, no problem. But if you go back to your town on, on Monday and these people are walking in and out of your office and you're not selecting them, no reason to have the skill, right? One of the things I've really tried to you know, perfect is my ability to, to be a teacher and, a, and in my practice, 
be a good patient selector. Because I, I really have kind of, I always joke about this, I kind of have a bad practice to do a lot of the procedures I do because I see so much in the way of sports medicine and those don't ever translate into these SI fusions or Minutemans or anything like that. They just translate into following somebody through a concussion or, or following somebody through a knee or a shoulder injury or something. And so I have to be good at patient selection. And so I, I try to promote that first and foremost. And then of course the skill of the procedure is critical and paramount. And, and making sure you're real with your own skills. Can you safely, competently accomplish this procedure or not? And if somebody is kind of on the borderline, I can go to, and proctor them and I go do five or six cases with them until they're comfortable, right? My, my son is in, um, in, in another town proctoring a, a, a doctor today or, or representing a doctor today who the, the first time I went to help him, um, I had to proctor five of his cases it was required by the hospital. The guy does some of the most procedures in West Texas now, and he does them very competently and very well. Some doctors just need that little having another person in the room when they're there the first couple times. I mean, when you're doing your training chase, there's always somebody looking over your shoulder. And then one day you realize that I'm operating and there's no, no director behind me. It's just me. And that for some people is kind of an aha moment. It shows them they're either okay or they're not okay. And some people will freak out or some people will go seek out. And so what I mean by seek out is one of the best spine surgeons I've ever worked with in Indiana. I know even in this pinnacle of his career, he still went to our cadaver lab a lot of times the night before surgery to do a little bit of dissection and be reminded of a few things. And that's and the same thing. We look at images the night before. We look at we try to prepare just like you would prepare for a football game and say, okay, if, if it's you know fourth and, and twenty and I've got the ball, what am I going to do? I mean, the same thing happens in medicine. It's it's no different. If you pre-plan well and you execute well, there's usually going to be a good patient outcome. Well, we're a big believer on the on the podcast, and we constantly talk about process pace. Yep. I'm also a big believer, and I think you touched on this, iron sharpens iron. Yes. You've never been one to back down from learning. Right. And, and what I hear, this is very applicable for our audience in particular yep. across a multitude of fields, yep. being a constant learner. Mm -hmm. um, so that when you're in that situation, in your example, when a patient's on the table, mm -hmm. you have the utmost confidence yep. that you're gonna deliver for a positive result. So I appreciate that guidance, and especially for our audience, I think there's a lot of pearls to really tune in on. Okay. So as we shift gears, Chad, you're a man of sports. Yes. And I know faith plays a big part of right. your life as well that we haven't touched on. Yeah. But as you've raised a successful family, mm -hmm. hopefully not a grandpa yet. Oh, maybe, not yet. Maybe we, we, in the we have a dog. There you go. But as we talk about how sports have impacted kind of your personal family life, yeah. and that obviously is a very successful practitioner, right. have you found the chance or give advice to those out there that are in a similar situation as you to balance elite level service as a practitioner, mm -hmm. elite level guidance as a dad, great husband, and also the faith component. Okay, so two of those things I think you'll understand. One, you grew up throwing a football into a tire all day long until dad got home, right? And number two, you had a great mother, right? Um, I know your mother, she's been in my practice a long time. Um, I have a great wife and she's amazing with the kids, but big butt, the kids want to throw and kick a ball with dad. They just do, right? So when I get home, even now, we, we have a 23-year-old, as you know, and we have a 10-year-old. So our fifth grader wants to either throw, and, and our house has many broken items because we throw footballs all throughout the house. Um, we kick soccer balls throughout the house. We, you know, now he's playing basketball. Every wall has a mark of a basketball on it. I mean, one of the things that we've kind of tried to do is, is raise our kids 
by by just in letting them enjoy what they do. Um, none of our kids have been um, on every select team in the world, traveling every weekend and things like that. But yet, you know, Cali, of course, is a Division One cheerleader. Connor had a you know state championship baseball run in high school. Cooper is multi-sport varsity player, all from his freshman year to senior year, and now Cannon. And so, one of the things I realized a long time ago is that our best conversations come at two times in the day. One is at the very end of the night, when we're you know having Bible time and, and, and praying with them at night, they'll tell us stuff. But the other time is when you're throwing a ball. And you can relate to that. You and your dad probably threw a lot of balls together. And so, you know, we're throwing a ball. So, son, how did that date go the other night? Oh, well, then we, off we go. And so um, I think it's important. And I think my kids know that, that I love sports. And so they love to come and watch games with me. And they love to play games with me. And, and that's honestly how my dad was. My dad loves I don't think my dad missed any game or race or anything I was in um, my entire high school career which is amazing he had his own business so we you know I can't say the same thing about my son I've you can't give me too much kudos because the night that Cooper had his concussion his junior year I was watching it on a phone on a plane and I went to myself oh my gosh Cooper just got a concussion he went to the wrong side of the field and you know and he's wobbly and, and I'm thinking why am I not there why am I going to teach a course with my son and, and we had decided that during football season I wouldn't take any gigs but one came up and I kind of needed to do it or chose to do it I should say so there's plenty of failures along the way Chase um, our kids are, are very resilient they're they're all raising each other as well they all enjoy each other and they're all good but it really comes down to the mom and um, I think you would have to agree that your mom was was a glue your dad's career was a second to none as far as high school coaches go but that meant that she had to take some sacrifices and you know and I remember her hearing her story about you know all the things she did to so that Hal could be a successful coach and I think it's important that we realize that that I mean Cassandra does a lot of my she keeps up with my whole speaking side of my business right our business and um, I couldn't do it without that so um, we're all pretty blessed and, and you'll see as, as your kids get older that Shay's priceless well, I, I won't argue with that. I think the best gift uh, is obviously the mother, the father, the relationship. But it, what I hear you talk about is sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that every guest we've had on, Chad, they've in some form or fashion made a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. In your case, it's to elevate your career, to mm -hmm. educate, to yeah. impact patients. Yeah. But ultimately, the, the life lessons that I know you've taught your family mm -hmm. are built upon faith, are built upon that grit mentality. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think as we kind of are in closing, I really want you to dive into. Okay. So we've heard about the innovation in care, yeah. the, the, the procedures that you're offering. But at the end of the day, you're having to test yourself daily to stay ahead of the game, mm -hmm. to keep up with you know, the way payers are dictating care. Mm -hmm. Walk us through that mindset that makes you flip the switch to make every day an opportunity to win the day. Okay, so one thing people need to be thinking about is finding a mentor and being a mentor. And so I have certain people throughout the country that if a certain person starts you know, diving into a certain procedure, I know right away that it's something I'll be interested in and I know it's beneficial, right? And there's people that do the same for me that call me and say, hey, you know, what's the latest thing to be involved in? And, and we, so it's kind of like iron sharpens iron, that kind of thing. So I would say that's really critical to find people that you want to be like and try to make yourself somebody that people would want to be like. And so there's a constant, especially with social media now, we can see what other people all throughout the country are doing in their practices and in their weekend courses and things. 
on an ongoing basis. So it gives you a chance to kind of keep a barometer to go, yeah, okay, I, I'm, I'm not, not relevance necessarily, but I'm still in the middle of this circle of, of, of knowledge and I'm still getting to be a part of the, of the transitions and things that happen with new innovations. So that's that. Now, the second part of your question is probably the most frustrating thing I deal with, and that is trying to get the things that I know would be good for a patient approved by insurance. So, I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I had a guy pay cash pay for a procedure because insurance didn't approve it, you know, over $20,000. We've had people pay over $70,000 for different procedures because they couldn't get approved. And so it's, it's a really, really hard thing. And you'll, if you follow my, my social media channels, you'll see a lot of times I bring up the fact that these peer-to-peer -peer calls we have to have with insurances that end up being losses because they just all they do is read you some policy that doesn't affect the patient, doesn't, doesn't, they don't know your patient, they haven't read the notes about your patient, they're just reading you a policy that says, yeah, we're taking time to, to go through this, but the answer is no. And you're just like, man, I, I've got patients that need these procedures and I can't get them accomplished. And so the, the rules change daily. The um, insurances change, you know, what they will approve, what they won't approve. And so it makes it really hard to keep up. So my billing and coding people have a full-time job just to go, okay, so-and-so, you know, decide they're not going to cover this anymore. And so now we've got to figure out a way to do that. And so I wish in an ideal world all the things that we've mentioned that are procedures that are good for patients, we could just do when they come up and they're necessary. But in reality, Chase, I spend a lot of time either advocating on uh, phone calls or through emails or something, trying to get a patient approved for a procedure. And I honestly did not know that was gonna be a part of medicine. Um, I think it probably burns doctors out faster than anything else, is dealing with um, all the things we have to do with trying to get our patients taken care of the way we know is best, but being told no by somebody who doesn't know them or really honestly even care enough to know them. And so it's really frustrating to be a doctor in that world. Well, I can only imagine, but I will say the one thing that I'm, that's a constant theme and I think for our audience that's tuning in and really can probably hear the inflection in your voice mm -hmm. is there's passion. Mm -hmm. And anytime you approach anything with passion, there's an opportunity to be successful. Right. In our case, anything that ends in Y, mm -hmm. the focus is to win the day. Mm -hmm. And what I heard you constantly talk about was the passion that you have about everything you represent. Mm -hmm. um, as we're kind of in closing, Chad, for our community that's out there, that's tuned in, the healthcare professionals, the right. vendors, the right. just the, the different individuals that we have part of our Win the Day community, mm -hmm. is there anything else you want to land on or touch on that we haven't you know, spoken about? I, I would like to just kind of make a, a blanket statement that there can be healthy relationships between doctors and vendors. Um, I know that you know that world really well from your background. and. Um, and sometimes it gets kind of caught into this, oh, we can't even buy somebody a 50-cent pen anymore. You know what I mean? Whereas they used to go golfing on the Riviera. You know, and, and I don't think that's right. I don't think either one's right. But what I do want to say is I think there's a healthy balance that can be had that patients can ultimately benefit from if doctors will engage the vendors and the companies that they can uh, find helpful to their patients. And they will become um, either key opinion leaders for them or they will become very familiar with their products. And it doesn't mean you're, you're becoming married to industry. It doesn't mean you're not becoming married. There, there's, there's a balance in everything we do, just like life. And I, I wanna just let people know that you can be a doctor who embraces new technology and not necessarily be somebody who has to be gifted or um, be won over some, some way borderline illegally, you know? So 
that's something I always try to let people know too because because of the amount of time I spend speaking, you know, like we're going to Australia again and some other places we go where I've had a really neat opportunity to launch different products there. Um, it's important for people to know that that these are hard working days and they're, the goal of all of them is the same, to find other doctors and give them the tools in their hand to affect the patients they have and their practices the way they have in my practice. That's well, always the goal. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, that's music to my ears. Now, the one thing I do think that's very important as a vendor or a representative approaching a practitioner or provider like yourself is there needs to be value mm -hmm. on both sides. Right. And ultimately, I think all vendors that are working in the industry for the right reason have the patient at the end game, Absolutely. which is obviously the way you're wired. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you sharing that with our audience because I know there's a lot of not only practitioners that, that we're speaking with, right. but also guys and girls that want to be great industry partners that are seeking out advice from experts like yourself on how do I approach? How do I win the day with this provider? When ultimately we all have the same shared outcome. So for our audience, Chad, I can't thank you enough. I think a couple of pearls I took out of this conversation, you've had the vision since you were a young man to become a practitioner, a provider, ultimately the stage where you're impacting at a global level mm -hmm. education which is kudos to you mm -hmm. number two passion mm -hmm. that's a theme that i think is transferable and applicable mm -hmm. to our entire audience yeah. so those two things i think is really what continues to separate yourself mm -hmm. and for our audience not only a sharp dresser but i think the constant theme is the patient is the first and foremost the most important thing for you to deliver the outcome. 100%. So we end the show, Chad, with a couple things, and I think it will resonate with you very well. Okay. We rise, we grind, we shine, we impact. If the day ends in Y, we win the day. Thank you for tuning in. What a special guest and treat it was to have Dr. Chad Stevens join us. We look forward to the next episode. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Chase. Appreciate it.